Hey, welcome to Seacoast. This is a kind of an exciting experience, I guess, it is a first time in Seacoast history. We have gone fully online and we don't have anybody on campus, which you've probably heard about. Um, now, so for some of you guys, that's, that's not anything different. In fact, there's thousands of people who watch online every single weekend, but for lots of you, uh, it's quite a change and it's quite a change for us as well. And so uh, we just thank you for joining us and still being a part of the SCG family. So uh, during this part of the service, we would usually do what? What do we do during this time? Uh, ask the question of the day. Question of the day. Uh, shake hands. Don't, we don't shake hands right now. Oh, we don't shake hands anymore. Got me, what is it? Um, offering. We give back to God. There it is right there. <laughs> So here's the deal. Uh, we know that uh, you're not here to give. Uh, a lot of you give online already, but uh, we want to encourage you to keep giving because that is a part of our worship. A part of the way we say thanks to God is giving back a part of what he's given to us. Now, I need to kind of give you a little insight uh, and we'll talk more about it later. But uh, we want to do more than just kind of stay steady and not lose income. We know that there are going to be people, if this goes on for any length of time, we're going to need some help. And we want to have some funds to do that. And we also already know of some churches, smaller churches, that are going to be struggling because they can't gather together. And we would like to help them. So just be faithful in your giving. We really appreciate it. We think that would be, uh, that would be great. So um, what are we talking about today? Yeah, now that we've got the business out of the way, uh, it's very clear that if you're watching the news at all or you're paying attention, there seems to be quite a bit of fear and anxiety happening, which I can understand. One of the ways that I know that there's a lot of fear and anxiety is the line at Costco today was insane. I think there was probably at any given time over a thousand people that were lying down the block just trying to get into Costco, all for toilet paper, which I thought was kind of a little bit much. But also weird because we could have church then. Yeah. Here, let's go to Costco and have church just like in the line. Okay. We try it. Maybe weird. Okay, yeah, kind of weird. Okay, so I, I understand there's lots of people who are, are afraid, who are worried. Um, they might be worried about the disease. They might be worried about the economy. Maybe you're just like me in which worrying is kind of just how you live. Um, is you're, you're a person who fears and worries on a regular basis. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. And when things are going well, you're worried that they're not going to go well anymore. And, and so fear and worry is a part of our life. Whether you're afraid right now and you're anxious or whether um, you've experienced it in the past or you're going to experience it again in the future. And here's the thing is fear is a natural emotion. It's actually our first emotion is when we come out of the womb, we're not depressed, we're not angry, we're fearful because we just went from this place where we were comfortable and warm to a scary and cold world. And so fear, it's just something that all of us are going to experience. And on one hand, that's a good thing because God gave us the ability to be afraid in order to protect us. If there happened to be a lion and a lion was coming after me, I would have this emotion of fear, which is great because you don't want the emotion of love. I can't wait to hug this lion. Um, fear is what's going to save me. But there's also this, health, uh, this, this, this destructive, unhealthy fear. And that's the kind of fear that we want to talk about. And that's the fear that Jesus really addresses. It's that fear of the future, of the unknown, uh, of being things that are not in, in your control. And so Jesus talks a lot about fear. And I specifically wanted to go through three chapters in Matthew. And he gives us kind of a different reason why we should not be afraid. But let me back up a little bit. So Jesus teaching on fear, you see it throughout all the gospels, is um, it's pretty simple. Here's what he says. When it comes to fear, you should fear not. That's it. That's what he says. That's like his whole thing. And if he wants to elaborate on it, he'll go even further than that and he'll say, do not be afraid. 
That, that's kind of a, his, his basis, his understanding. Now, you would say, easier said than done, which Jesus would agree. That's why he goes on and he gives us three reasons why we should not be afraid. And so I want to jump into Matthew 8. Matthew 8 is where we're going to find the, the first reason why we should not be afraid, those of us who are Christ followers. So the scenario is, or the scene is, is um, Jesus was just performing a bunch of miracles by healing people. And as he's healing people, more and more people are gathering around and they're watching and wanting to be healed. And so the, 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 the crowd gets so big that it becomes probably a little bit scary and a little bit dangerous. So it's clear that he needs to, he needs to go, but he can't get through the crowd. The only place that he can go is he can get on a boat and sail across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And so as he's sailing across, that's where I kind of want to jump into our, our story today. Matthew 8, 24 says this. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. So they're sailing and it's getting rough and there's water coming over the sides of the boat. I've actually experienced this recently. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yeah. My wife dragged me. I mean... Um, she took me to Disneyland with her on her birthday this last week, and we went on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, which I actually like that ride. I think it's fun. And one of the first like dips or falls that we go over, um, it was really fun until we hit the bottom. And I don't want to say because there was too much weight on my side. I'm sure it was just too much water that was in the ride at that point. And a huge wave just came over the side of it and just drenched me. And I think that's probably pretty, pretty serious like similar to what the disciples, exactly right? right. Yeah, exactly. I think that's like being in a storm in the yeah, middle of the sea. Exactly the same. It was for me anyway. And so you have to imagine that these guys, they're afraid that they are right in the middle of the sea. It's rough, it's windy, there's waves. And so they are scared. So here's what, uh, here's what Jesus is up to as his guys are terrified. It says this, it says, but Jesus was sleeping. Okay, great. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for all the help. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you probably have felt this before, is you have felt like, Jesus, where are you? I'm in the middle of a storm. You're not showing up. What are you, asleep? You may even get to the point where you're sort of, I don't even know if he exists anymore because I really need him to show up to bring some peace and some calm and to answer some prayers. And yet Jesus is asleep. Well, the good news is even the guys who saw him face to face who got to actually spend time with him in the flesh, they felt the same way. It felt like Jesus was sleeping on him. Well, here's what he says next. What happens next? Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Well, Jesus, if I were going to answer, which I think it's a rhetorical question, but if I were going to answer, I'd say, Jesus, the reason why I'm so afraid is because we're in a boat in the middle of a, uh, the sea and there's a storm. And during the storm, there's a good likelihood that we are going to sink. And if we sink, I'm going to drown. And that produces fear in me. I, I feel like I have a really good, straightforward reason to be afraid. But here's what Jesus says. He says, it says that then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? And the answer to that question is super. He's a superman. Well, uh, it ends with this. It says, even the winds and the waves obey him. And so Jesus does something obviously pretty dramatic here is he reveals the power and authority that he has, that he can command even the winds and the waves to stop. But the way that he does it is also kind of uh, gives us insight because he does it not through like this magic or like a wizard or he does it as if he's a parent talking to a child. My kids, they are constantly creating storms. It feels like there's a tornado that has gone through our house on a daily basis. 
And the way that I talk to them or the way that their mother talks to them is as a parent, hey, you gotta calm down, you gotta relax. Right now is not the time for this. And that's what Jesus seems to be doing is, hey, you know what, you gotta relax. You gotta stay calm. You, you, have, to, um, you have to get things under control. The book of Mark gives us a different perspective on the same story. When he tells the story and the disciples at the end of it are amazed, he says that they feared a great fear, that they went from being afraid of the wind and the waves and potentially drowning to being afraid of the person who can command the wind and the waves to cease. And so for Jesus, when he talks about not being afraid, what he's saying is one of the reasons why you shouldn't be afraid is because I'm in control that I'm the authority here, that there's nothing that catches me by surprise. There's nothing that is outside of, of, of my command and my control. Now, even though it may not make sense to you and it may feel it's chaotic, it, it's not to me. I am always in control. So we begin with this uh, how to deal with fear kind of deal by just remembering there's a God, okay? There is a God. You're not in control. So that's one of the weird things about this whole situation is a lot of people living in fear, fear of getting the virus, fear of someone they love getting the virus, fear of financial ruin, which, you know, is a scary thing. All kinds of fear. But at the end of the day, you can't control anything. Our government can't control it fully. It's kind of out of control a little bit. And yet God is in control. God has the outcomes in mind already. And so we stop and we remember there is a God and he's all powerful God. But how do we know that that God has good intentions toward us? How do we know that if there is a God, how does he feel about us? How does he want to treat us? How do we know that we can trust him? So in the 10th chapter of Matthew, there is another account. And it talks about um, the disciples. He's warning them that they're going to encounter difficult times, uh, people who want to do them harm, etc., etc. And he says this, and it's about perspective. And it's about who God is. So listen to this. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. In other words, people who come against you, circumstances that come against you, things that can harm you physically aren't the ultimate thing to be worried about. They're just things. You can worry a little bit, but they're not the point. And then he goes and he says this. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What? What? He's saying, you're worried about all these things. People talking bad about you. Uh, there's a virus out there, this, that, and the other thing. Not to minimize any of that, but he's saying there's something a lot bigger. There is a God. And this God, if he wanted, he could destroy you. But then he says, but here's the kind of God you have. And this is powerful. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. Father, we get the first clue about the God that we're learning about in Scripture is that he cares about us as a father, a good father, not a dysfunctional father, the best father ever. He says, this God who really is in control cares about you like a father. Now, this is in the context of the person of Jesus Christ. Believing in Jesus, being a Christian, a Christ follower, this applies to you. I'm, I'm not sure that everybody who says that God, the creator, is in control, knows who they're talking to, nor can they call him father in the sense it's being used here. See, what happens, a lot of false hope kind of gets spread around in these kind of situations. Well, God will take care of it. Things tend to work out. So it's, it's trite. It's, it's, it's not necessarily helpful. What is helpful is when Jesus says, the God who created the earth also is your father, if you believe in me, if we extend this to the full teaching of scripture, your father. And so the God who is 
is a father to those who believe in Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, he says this, and even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, those who are follically challenged, it's easy with you guys, but some of the other folks, it's a little harder. Why does he, this is a weird thing. The hairs of your head are numbered. What does that even mean? Sometimes we are tempted to think that God, almighty, big God, cares about big things like viruses in the whole world, but may not care about my fears, may not care about the financial challenges I'm worried about, may not care about that I'm worried about my elderly parents, whatever it might be. Are you worried about your elderly parents? One of them. One of them. Yeah. She'll be fine. So the reality is, is that when it says that he cares about little sparrows and he cares about how many hair are in your head, it's saying God cares about even the minute details of your life. He cares about all of them. And then he goes on and he says this, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You got a God who loves you like a father because he is your father. Spiritually, he is your father. You got a God who is your spiritual father and he knows and cares about even the minute details of your life. He says this, you are worth more than many sparrows. Don't you feel good? You're worth more than many sparrows. What's interesting about this, I was thinking about fear. I'm not really afraid of getting the virus. I don't know. I, I, I'm probably just ignorant. I don't know. Um, I, I'm not, even the financial stuff, is, it's kind of worrisome, but I'm not really afraid of that. I realized something about myself recently. Uh, Cody and I were talking about this a couple of weeks ago before all this hit, is that there are certain things that trigger fears for me. And it boils down to this, loss of control. If I feel like I'm not at least in part in control, and I know intellectual, I'm not in control very much, but that doesn't keep me from fooling myself, thinking that I have a lot more control than I actually have. And when I get afraid is when there's somebody else in authority or has power over my life and I can't be the one in charge, or if there's something threatening, something that I've built, something that I care about, people that I love, if I feel like I'm not in control of that, I start to get afraid. And it doesn't look like fear. It looks a lot like anger. Because <laughs> the way I channel fear is anger. And I get ticked off. And we were talking about this recently. And I become angry and afraid. So I was thinking about that in this setting. I'm going I'm to just be honest with you. I'm sure nobody else felt like this. But early in the week when we started getting word that we might be encouraged to not meet by our government. That's a nice way of saying it. I got ticked. Who are you? What happened to separation of church and state in this deal, right? <laughs> I know, it's silly. But I was, I was struggling. I was kind of getting my back up a little bit going, you know what? I, I don't think you can tell me what to do. You know, it's one of those, you're not the boss of me. And my daughter's famous phrase growing up was, you're not the boss of me. I know where she got it, her mom. But anyway, sometimes I feel that way too. And I was feeling like, who are you to tell us we can't meet? I was even trying to figure out ways around it. Like, you know, and then it kind of dawned on me. The reason I was getting angry is not just because I don't want people telling us as a church what to do. I don't want people telling me what to do. The truth of it is that during this time, some things may bubble to the surface for you. You may overreact in ways you didn't expect to. Or somebody else may say, why are you so worried? What are you so upset about? And you may examine yourself and realize that you're not really worried about what you think you're worried about that you're worried about something you've been carrying with you. So our prayer is you don't just survive this, but you grow through the, however long this takes, this whole crisis. 
we're praying that you will grow through this whole, pri- this whole crisis and that God will reveal some things about himself and in light of who he is, your loving father who cares about every intimate detail, minute detail of your life, in knowing who he is, you will be willing to look at yourself a little differently. If I were to take this analogy a step further in my own life, I was thinking about fear and that whole loss of control because it's a real irrational thing sometimes for me. Not often, I'm not a fearful person in general, but there are certain situations that trigger me and they have to do with control over things that I love, things that people that I love. And I realize that probably it comes from somewhere deep down inside, something I've kept buried and hidden, probably a wound where I've seen some injustice or experienced some injustice or seen people do things when control was released to others that makes me want to protect that and not let anybody get at that. And if anybody does, it drives me into anger, which is really in fear of protecting that place. What happens when we're in crisis is who we really are makes its way to the surface. For me this week, it was anger. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know what it's for you, but here's what I know is that God intends during crisis moments. See, this isn't catching God off off guard. God's not like, there's a virus. It came from there and it went to there. Oh my goodness. God, he knew it was coming. He saw it coming, and he's going to do some powerful things in the midst of it, one of which is for you to expose your heart to him in a fresh and a new way so that he can bring healing and he can bring hope, that he can bring salvation to even that part of your life that you may have never even dealt with. You're saying, wow, you're going deep on this deal. I'm not going through this for nothing. I'm not going to walk through this thing we're walking through and not get something out of it. If God can do a work in my life in the middle of this because he's my heavenly father, he wants me to find healing and hope, I'm laying it out there. I'm going to do it. And we encourage you to do the same. And the reason we know that he can bring healing and hope is because of what he did for us. So in chapter 8, Jesus tells us the reason why we're not supposed to be afraid is because uh, he's in control. And then in chapter 10, he says you shouldn't be afraid because um, he cares for you. And then in chapter 12, he says something that seems totally unrelated. It seems like something that is almost odd. Here's what he says. He makes this claim. He says, I am the true Jonah. I'm the one that Jonah has been pointing towards. Now, this is totally out of nowhere. Where does this come from? Well, if you go back to the Old Testament, the story hundreds of years before Jesus, you have this story of Jonah, and hopefully you're familiar with it, maybe in Sunday school or whatever, but the basic story is that Jonah gets thrown overboard, he gets swallowed by a giant fish, and then he gets spit out eventually. What does this have to do with fear, and what does this have to do with Jesus? Well, the stories are, are very similar. If you look at the story in Matthew 8, when Jesus is on the boat with his disciples, and then you look at Jonah's story, there's some incredible parallels. And again, these stories are hundreds of years apart, and you may never see these um, unless it's pointed out. Let me list a couple uh, parallels. Both are out to sea in a boat with a group of men. Both are overtaken by a storm. In fact, if you look at the descriptions of those storms, they're almost identical. Both are asleep on the boat during a storm. Both have groups of men that are sailing and then come in and tell them that they are going to, and they use the same Greek words, perish. And both are miraculously um, saved uh, by, the store that, by the storm being calmed. 
And then at the end, both groups um, are even more terrified than before the storm because of what miraculously happened. Now, if you know both stories, you might say, wait a minute, hold on. Those are interesting parallels, but there seems to be a crucial part where these two stories diverge. Because in Jonah's story, the way that the storm is calmed is by him being thrown overboard. And the way that in Jesus' story, the, the storm is calmed is by him using his authority and power to calm the wind and the waves. But if you look a little bit deeper, you'll see that it's actually pointing to the same thing. So the way that Jonah was able to calm the storms, and of course, God did this, but it was by Jonah being thrown overboard, uh, obviously, but it was by giving up his life. He said, if you want to live to the sailors, then I'm going to have to die. Well, of course, that's, that's Jesus' story. They were foreshadowing what was to come, was that Jesus would one day come and he would offer up his life in order to not just calm the storm on that day, but to calm all the storms that would come after that for everyone who would ever live and trust in him as he says, I will come and I will give my life in order to calm the storms in yours. And so at the end of all of this, at the end of Matthew 8, where he talks about how he's in control and in 10, where he says how much he loves and cares for us. And then we see in this story that he has, has conquered the, the, the things that threaten us. You know what happens right after this? After the disciples see this, even after the disciples see Jesus die on the cross for them, you know what the disciples are? Still afraid. It, nothing changed it. They were still afraid at the end of all of this. Well, that is until one thing happened. They went from being fearful to fearless after they saw the resurrected Christ. Because when they saw the resurrected Christ, it wasn't another miracle, it wasn't another story, it wasn't even Jesus dying on their behalf. It was seeing someone conquer sin and death that, would, that enabled them to be fearless. And so, once we have accepted this, and once we have believed this and put our trust in him, and we can now see that we can fear not because Jesus cares for us and because he has conquered sin and death, there's one more thing that we're supposed to do. And that comes after Jesus' death and resurrection. He comes one more time to the disciples and he says this. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because it is. It's between the resurrection and them seeing him as a resurrected Savior. And it happens in Matthew 28, verse 10. It says this, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Here we go again. Do not be afraid. And he goes on. He says, Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So the picture here is that we... In the midst of crisis, we see God for who he is, all-powerful. We see the kind of God he is, our Heavenly Father. We know that he's overcome our ultimate fear, which is death, right? And he's overcome death, and now what? So we would be tempted to stop there and say, I think I, think I can make it through. I think I can survive. I, okay, I'm going to get to it. However long this is, we'll just, we'll just get to it together. You know, we're just going to make it. You know what's interesting? He doesn't want you to survive. He wants you to do more than survive. He wants you to have impact. Because it wasn't long after this, in chapter 28, he said these words, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, this whole experience is to know God, to be changed, healed, given hope by God, and then to be commissioned to go. The point is, we're not just supposed to survive this crisis. We are supposed to impact our world during this crisis. Throughout history, look, whenever the world is melting down, Christians go running in to bring hope, 
to bring love, to bring the power of God to bear on this situation. So we, I'm telling you, too, we're not expecting to just get through this. We believe we're going to come out of this crisis, however long it lasts, stronger than we went in, doing better ministry than we had when we started with, with more people involved in ministry, because now it's not here on this campus. It's in your house. It's in your neighborhood. It's in our community. We believe, yes, I get it. It's scary. It's unknown. But God is not unaware. And God is not just hoping we're going to skate by, make it, just make it through barely. God expects us to rise up in faith, trust him, live in hope and confidence, and to help others who don't have the same hope that we have. So today we're not here saying, woe is me or you poor thing. We want to have compassion if you're struggling. We get that. As a matter of fact, if you want to, if you want to get online, text us right now. We have a bunch of staff at their computers ready to talk to you. If you want to dial our number, it'll come up on the screen. You can call us. We'll have somebody talk to you. We care if you're struggling. But we believe that your struggle is, is not just to get you through or for God to make you feel better, but so that you can live victoriously. You can rise up and make a difference in your world. And that is our goal. However long this thing takes, we are going to be believing. We're going to be stepping forward in faith. We're going to encourage you to do the same and to see what God might do. We just came off of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and this is what happens. Hmm. Coincidence? I don't think so. I think God is preparing us for something great. And our whole point was we want to make a huge difference in our world. Look what is at our doorstep. An opportunity when everybody else's hope is falling apart. As the numbers go down in their bank account or in their retirement. As their health is threatened, guess what? We have the hope that can't be threatened. We have the love that nothing can separate us from. We have Jesus because he changes everything. Amazing, isn't it? Well, I have to be honest. Maybe you're watching this. And you don't have Jesus. And you think I'm nuts. (laughs) You're not completely wrong in some areas, but, you know, without Jesus, it is kind of an uncertain time. And you kind of caught your fingers crossed and you're whistling in the dark, hoping it gets better. But with Jesus, we can speak with confidence. Even death itself isn't something we need to fear. So maybe, maybe today I'd like to invite you, if you don't have Jesus in your life, and by that I mean you just have never come to say, Jesus, if you're there, I want to ask you to forgive everything I've ever done wrong because of what you did on the cross. And, and if you're there, I want you to take away the fear that I have because you promised you'd take care of me forever if I believed in you and take me to heaven. And, and I want you to make my life about what it's supposed to be about. It's just that simple. It's you're just believing in Jesus, putting him in charge of your life. And boy, I tell you, I, I don't think I'd want to try to go through this crisis without him. I don't think I'd want to be trying to find meaning or purpose or significance in a world where things are so uncertain if there wasn't a God who loved me like a father and came so that I could be forgiven and reconciled. Today I'm not talking about joining a church. I'm not even talking about adopting a new philosophy. I'm talking about finding a relationship with the one who loves you more than anybody else. The one who has the power to really change things when everybody else is just trying to figure this thing out. The one who came because he loved you so much. Today, you might want to just pray that prayer. Jesus, come into my life. Be in charge. Please forgive me for everything I've done wrong. Please help me be and do in the present all that you intended me to. And I will trust you with the forever, the heaven that you've promised us. 
I guarantee if you've never prayed that prayer before, that might just be a turning factor in how you deal with this crisis and probably in your whole life. It's the most important, powerful thing you can do. And we pray that if nothing else comes out of this crisis, then a few of you find Jesus. It'll be worth it. And I mean that. I mean that. Whatever the price is for us. In a minute, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to just pray in your heart that prayer I just described. Just, Jesus, I want you in my life. I'm going to pray not only for you, but I'm going to pray for all of us. It's interesting in the New Testament when the disciples were under persecution and times were hard, they didn't pray that they would escape or that God would take it away. They prayed that they would be bold. And um, we're going to pray that God will make us bold. You see, we're right now in a dark auditorium. But the power of what's happening right now, the little bit of light that we're trying to shine is pretty incredible because of what God's doing. And you may not think your light is very bright, but when times are dark, it doesn't take a whole lot of light to bring some light into the world around you. And we're going to pray that you become great lights. Let's pray. Lord God, if there are people watching that don't believe in you and have never understood who Jesus is and what you came to do, I pray that right now you would just, as they confess that they believe in you and they want to believe in you, and they ask for forgiveness of sins, I pray that you would just fill them with such peace. As it's described in your word, a peace that is beyond understanding. It's beyond their circumstances. They can't explain it, but somehow that peace would overcome them, even in this moment where the circumstances are still unknown and uncertain. Lord, I pray that you would take them, you would fill them with peace, and you would forgive all that they've ever done wrong, and you would help them to begin to find what their future is to be about, and you would make them more like you every day. Lord, for those of us who have committed our life to you, I ask that you would help us, every one of us, to know you, to lean into you, to trust you in these uncertain times, not just to make it through, not just to survive, but to actually be light in what feels like a fairly dark world right now. There's a lot of people putting on brave faces and a lot of talking heads telling us how it's all going to work out, but we don't know. They don't know. You know, and we trust you. And so today, Lord God, wherever we are on this on this fear thing on that scale wherever we are going to be tomorrow and the next day let us turn to you let us be lifted up let us draw close to you and let us become light as we trust you with every day and with the outcomes and thank you for loving us so much thank you for being with us we love you lord amen